Well, I take an artist or a band and listen to their work. Then I put them on a list like a music critic jerk. Then I put them all in order from the best to the worst. But you probably won't like my choice for first. I don't care. You might think this idea is dumb. You're wrong. It's actually random. Hello and welcome to another edition of Random Album I Am BC. Thank you for joining me and this is a special episode. But before we talk about who we're going to be talking about, let me introduce my guest on the show. NC, no relation. <laughs> Hello. And this is your first podcast, correct? This is my very first podcast. How are you feeling right now? I'm feeling great because we're talking about the Beatles, so. That is correct. <laughs> yep. We are, in fact, talking about a little band from England known as the Beatles. Just, just a little band. A yeah, very little band. Very little band. Yeah. Do you think they have a big fan base? Um, You know, I've heard, <laughs> I've heard, like, their cult, cult following is like. Mm. All right. So we're going to be diving in some interesting territory. <laughs> and before we do that, before we get into the ranking. Let's do what we usually do. Well, before we do, I should point out the rules. No greatest hits, no box sets, no live albums. And unfortunately, Past Masters Volumes 1 and 2 are disqualified. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Otherwise, that'd be in the top two. <laughs> exactly. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's get into the ranking. But first, a history. Well, what can be said about this band that hasn't already been talked about in past documentaries and podcasts? Well, I'm going to give it my best shot. As you know, the Beatles are an English rock band from Liverpool. They consisted of John Lennon, Paul McCartney, George Harrison, and Ringo Starr, and they are regarded as the most influential band of all time. But it didn't happen instantly. Oh, no, no, no. Let's start from the beginning. In March 1957, John Lennon, then age 16, formed a skiffle group with several friends from Quarry Bank High School, calling themselves the Blackjacks and then changing their name to the Quarrymen. Paul McCartney, then 15, joined the band as a rhythm guitarist, and then George Harrison joined in February of 1958. The band would have many personnel changes as far as the bass goes. Stu Sutcliffe would join in 1959 before leaving the band and then passing away in 1960 of a brain hemorrhage. Pete Best would play drums in mid-August 1960 before being unceremoniously let go in 1962. Ringo Starr, Richard Starkey, would join the band replacing Best on drums soon after. They would release 13 albums in the seven years they had been together as The Beatles. They took over America, thanks to their appearance on Ed Sullivan, where they would have at least six appearances during the entire decade of the 1960s. They would continue to dominate. They would retire from touring in 1966 and focus on being an album band. The band would star in three movies, Hard Day's Night, Help, and Magical Mystery Tour. As you know, Yellow Submarine was not voiced by the actual Beatles themselves, but rather 
a different set of actors. The real Beatles do not show up until the end of that movie. And Let It Be was a documentary more than an actual movie. The Beatles would call it quits effective April 13th, 1970, after it was announced in public by Paul McCartney in a press conference. The band would be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1988. John Lennon was assassinated on December 8, 1980 and passed away at the age of 40. George Harrison passed away in 2001 after complications from cancer. To this day, Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr are the only surviving members of the group. And now that you have a brief synopsis on the Beatles, let's get into our random album episode on the Fab Four. We begin our look at the discography of the Beatles with their debut album from 1963, Please Please Me, and I can sum up the energy on their first album in four words. And that was, in fact, the first song on the album. I saw her standing there. And yes, the opening words are one, two, three, four, not one, two, three, fuck, compared as what's been said according to Urban Legend. <laughs> and fun fact, I saw her standing there's original title, 17. Makes sort of sense, even yeah. though it's only listed... They only mentioned that number once in the song. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that sound. If that were to come out now, it'd be like a Taylor Swift song, seventeen. Yeah. Wait, it isn't. I know. No, it's fifteen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, give or take a couple numbers. Amen. <laughs> All right. I had that at number eleven. There's thirteen albums in the Beatles' career. I have that at number eleven overall. Okay. I have that. Sorry, let me get off. Let me go to my list. I have that listed at number, I think I had that at the, yeah, at the bottom, at, at number 13, actually. At the bottom, okay. Uh, what's the reason for that? Well, it's just, this is their early stuff. And don't right. get me wrong, love the early stuff. But when you listen to a lot of the early stuff, you're going to get a lot of Elvis Presley, Chuck Berry, Buddy Holly influence. Not that that's not a bad thing. Right, it's... But the way that when I think of the Beatles, I think of like, you know, I, I think of like, you know, Hard Day's Night, right. Help, Sgt. Pepper. That's that's where I immediately go to. Oh, and it's completely understandable. Absolutely. Yeah. There are so many covers on this first album that just are so cringeworthy now. It's, yeah. Mm -hmm. With the exception of one. But we'll talk about that in yeah, a bit. Absolutely. Uh, you mentioned the influences of Elvis, Buddy Holly, and Chuck Berry. The title track, according to John Lennon, is an attempt at doing a Roy Orbison tune. Okay, I love me some Roy Orbison. That I can totally see. Yeah, and it's definitely showing in the in this song. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
And it wound up being their first number one hit in their home country. Uh-huh. It's just so crazy that, like, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure people said this before. It's just, like, four guys, you know, just trying to start a band, starting to, like, you know, they just wanted to be the next Elvis. And then they go and they become, you know, the greatest poets of the 20th century. Exactly. For sure. And, yeah, it's still, as far as their earlier stuff goes, Please Please Me is still one of the all-time great songs mm-hmm. of theirs. Absolutely. Absolutely. Agreed. Uh, one other highlight. Well, to me, it's a highlight. Mm-hmm. It was the. It was written by John Lennon and Paul McCartney, but it was sung by George Harrison. needs to be said even then george harrison seemed to get the raw deal every time in that band very 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 under appreciated and underrated as a songwriter agreed in fact i will say i think harrison's solo material rivals lennon's oh that's not even a question absolutely <laughs> not again i'm not not dissing them love them both but you know definitely definitely some strengths there for sure yeah, and it definitely showed even back then. And yeah, not one song on this album was written by George. It was either Lennon and McCartney or other others mm-hmm. who did the who wrote the cover tunes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Rolling Stone magazine when they had their 500 albums of all time list, uh, they did it they had it in 2003 and mm-hmm. then uh, on the most recent list from 2012, this was ranked 39th of all time. I think that's a bit too high. I think it's the lowest ranking for a Beatles album, but still too high. I I don't know if I would even put it at the top 100 because it's just such an intro. Because it's just such an introduction. It's just such an introduction to them. It's kind of like the first season of Parks and Rec. You know what I mean? It's like like we're getting to know these people, but you know, the the strengths aren't quite there yet. You know what I mean? I can definitely see where you're coming from. I mean, and and, like, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not dissing. There's some good stuff on there, but also, you know, (laughs) it'd be great for my mom to be here because my mom grew up with this. My mom grew up when this was, when this was happening. So it's like, maybe if I was from that time, I would be like, oh, yeah, I would put that at the way, way top, you know? Perhaps. But, you know, I'm just, you know, was born in the late 80s, so it's a totally different thing for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's funny you mentioned the late 80s. I know uh, around that time, the uh, Monkees TV show is being rerun on Nickelodeon and MTV. I was a Monkees fan before I was a Beatles fan. And I was, I remember, yeah. And the Monkees and the Beatles were very, they were very tight. Very, yes. They were very tight. So that's, 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 that's yeah. All right. And I should also have one more fun fact here about this uh, particular album. The album cover for Please Please Me is this, was later used for the Red album, 62 to 66. Oh, interesting. Did they both come in? Yeah, because the blue album was the same 
building, but they had the long hair and the beards, and that was for the uh, '67 to '70 album. That was okay. supposed to, that was supposed to be the Let It Be album cover, but that oh. never happened. Ah, uh, yep. Yeah. I have seen that picture of Lennon stuffing Orbison's face with cake. <laughs> it's a classic. I mean, yeah, and they were like again, they were just trying to be the next Roy Orbison. It was never, it was never like you know they just wanted to be musician. It was like you know it's like they weren't intended for world domination. I guess for them, it just happened naturally. Exactly. And uh, speaking of yeah, act naturally. That's an album mm-hmm. for later on this episode. <laughs> I love that. As I said, the covers, well, we both agreed the covers are pretty cringeworthy. There's only one that's even worth talking about. Uh-huh. And I think you know which one I'm talking about. Absolutely. Yep. John Lennon's version of Twist and Shout, uh, which was interesting because that was recorded and attempted in two takes. Uh-huh. But during the 15-hour session, John Lennon was dealing with a cold. Oh, uh-huh. So he was soothing his vocal cords with milk and halls. Oh, Jesus. Odd combo. Yeah, they did. The Brits did some weird. They have some weird, weird things they do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and tried to do it a second time just to make sure. Because they said the first take was good, but it was a little ragged. But the second one, he had no voice. Mm. So what you hear on this album is the first take. Congestion sells, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> so I have a history with this song. Okay. Okay. My mom, of course, huge Beatles fan. My household was you. You can say whatever you want to about God, but you use Paul McCartney out of it. <laughs> this, um, this, I think this song made her fall in love with the Beatles. I mean, she, obviously Paul McCartney, but like, at, like legit, absolutely, she loves this cover. I think it's her all-time favorite Beatles cover. Wow! Yeah, you know what? I, I can't argue that. That is my. This is also my favorite Beatles cover. Mm-hmm. It's it's just very, it's it's definitely showing. I think they were trying to prove a point, which obviously they did. That they were they had the capacity to be on Ed Sullivan. I think that that's a big thing that they were trying to prove, and and that they were also like you know a legit band. And with this, they were definitely able to kind of show that. Absolutely, yeah, and. I mean, there are a couple of other good tunes on here. Um, let's see. Uh, I, I made fun. I poked fun at the covers, but I did like uh, "Baby, It's You." Mm-hmm. I did like "Anna, Go to Him." Mm-hmm. Both underrated. I mean, not my favorites, but very underrated covers on mm-hmm. there. Uh, there is one song you might, the uh, listeners might uh, have picked up on. There's one song I intentionally ignored on this album. Which is? Love Me Do. And why is that? That was a big hit for them. It is. And it's a great song. Uh-huh. Uh, but the reason I skipped it is because all four members of the Beatles were not playing on that track for that album. It was a... Really? Who was it? Uh, Andy White, who was a longtime session musician, played oh. drums. Okay. Ringo was relegated to tambourine and hand claps. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor Ringo. Yeah. Oh, 
even on the B side, P.S. I Love You, which I think is one of my least favorite Beatles tunes. I gotta, I gotta kind of agree with you on that one too. Yeah, you just feel teeth rotting when you hear that song. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Ringo's drumming on both those songs wouldn't even show up until the Past Masters album came oh. out in 1988. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, who knows why Ringo wasn't on drums for Please for the Love Me Do to cover on a take on Please Please Me, but. Mm -hmm. Who knows? Mm -hmm. uh, is there anything that we have not discussed regarding Please Please Me that we, or anything that we need to talk about that we haven't covered regarding this album? I'm good. You're good? I'm good. <laughs> All right. Great. Then we go to album number two, which was released within months after Please Please Me with the Beatles. If you're in the United States, this was released as meet the Beatles, mm -hmm. but we're sticking to the original United Kingdom releases. Absolutely. Uh, I had that a little higher than Please Please Me. I had that at number nine. I have that at number 12. Cause it's still, it's still, they're still freshmen, you know? It's still fairly early, but there are some great songs on here that I like. Definitely, yeah. And we're gonna get to a few of those now including one that has a bit of an argument uh between john and paul even all these years later in fact it's the opening track from this album We could play the whole song, but that uh, you could do that on your own. <laughs> yeah, yeah, gotta love that chorus. It won't be long till I be long yeah, to you. you. So what's the argument between John and Paul? Well, John has claimed he had sole writing credit on this one. He talked about that in 1971. Mm -hmm. And in his final interview in 1980 on, in Playboy magazine, he claimed that as his own. Oh, okay. Paul McCartney in 95, around the time the Beatles anthology came out, said that it was dominated by John, but it was definitely a Lennon-McCartney collaboration. Okay. Um, I love this song so much uh, because it um, was used beautifully in the movie Across the Universe, and that's how I kind of, it kind of came back into my life because totally. I wasn't, didn't really know about it. And I assume, I was kind of going through this book right here, uh, that this was kind of dedicated to because some people were going off to war and coming back home kind of thing. I think that was their intention of writing it. Which seems to make perfect sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely a great song. A very underrated song. Very underrated. It's a great song. It's a great song. Yeah, and there's a lot of great songs on this album, mm -hmm. including another one that would show up on the Hard Day's Night soundtrack and the first song that was sung on their first appearance on The Ed Sullivan Show.
That was one of five songs they sang on that first night on mm. the Ed Sullivan Show. February 7th, 1964, baby. Yeah, also the same day that I Want to Hold Your Hand jumped to the top of the charts. Mm-hmm. My mom was watching that. Is that crazy? My really? mom's my mom's one of the only people who like legit remembers. <laughs> like she was like you know sitting there watching the TV. I think she was trying to. She got so close to TV because she wanted to try to kiss Paul McCartney. So <laughs> nice. Was, yeah, with her with her rollers in, and she and her sister just you know jammed out. It was it was a big deal. It's like you don't. The thing is, we live in such a different time now. Is mm-hmm. that like you know. You would never see, because, like, you'll see girls, like, go crazy on their phone for, like, I don't know, who, who are they loving nowadays? Is it, what, Shawn Mendes or something like that? I don't know. Somebody like I, that, Exactly, yeah. or Bieber, I guess, if that's still relevant. But, like, it's like, you don't you don't see that. And it's like, it's like, that was a national event back then. And it's just, we don't, it's just so different now, because we don't, we don't have stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, Beatlemania was just in a time and class all its own i mean yeah i think i mean if you go back and you watch the old ed sullivan clip i mean you see women literally losing their mind i mean i I, i've never seen i mean just to look back on that it's just like it's just crazy you know but to be fair you and i have both been to a jonas brothers concert so we kind of (laughs) we kind of we kind of get it sort of sort (laughs) of yes we get it we get a little bit (laughs) yeah Uh, and doing research on this album, and particularly all my loving, or all yeah, all my loving is, mm-hmm. I did not know this, but uh, and by the way, that Sullivan show was actually February 9th. February seventh is when I want to hold your hand went to number one, but the oh, show oh, was okay, February sure, 9th. Then, so okay. close enough, two yeah. days. It's all good. But on that same day, one other soon-to-be pop star was a guest on the Ed Sullivan show. You know him by the name of Davy Jones. Bowie was on that show. Not David Bowie. Oh, oh, David Bo- Davy Jones of the yes, from the he monkeys. Was, he did. He was doing Oliver. Yep. Yes, that's right. I remember that. Yep. Yeah. He's saying, uh, "What are we gonna do for the Broadway version yeah, of Oliver?" Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Davy Jones was on that same. I remember that. <laughs> so yeah, so it's like it's it's cool. Like the monkeys and the Beatles kind of have the same correlation. Who knew? Yeah, and uh, how often do you see the Beatles in at least one or if not all the monkeys all in one particular variety show? Never, never. So cool. Except for that particular episode. (laughs) And we talked about how George Harrison got such a bad rap as far as the singer and songwriter for the band goes. Well... The, the band and I believe George Martin were nice enough to actually let him write a song to go on the this uh, album. Mm-hmm. And it's a favorite Harrison tune of mine. Uh, Don't Bother Me. Okay, no problem. Uh, that's why we're going to play the clip. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this was was this on Hard Day's Night too? It was featured on the Hard Day's Night movie. Yep, it was during the. uh, That's what I noticed it from. Yeah. Yeah, it was the ball. It was uh, the hotel barroom dance scene. Okay, that's what I know it from. I'm like, because I'm like, God, I know that song somewhere. (laughs) Yeah, and it was on the American release of the Hard Day's Night soundtrack as well. Perfect. 
Yeah, I I like that song. It's, it's definitely very underrated. Mm-hmm. And I'm probably going to catch flack for this next song that I'm about to play, but I think it's a highlight because I talked about how Harrison got to write Ringo. No, he didn't write any songs, uh, mm-hmm. at least not until the next couple of albums, which mm-hmm. we'll get into. But Ringo got to sing I Want to Be Your Man. I love this song. And here's a fun fact on that song. This was written by John Lennon and Paul McCartney. Mm-hmm. Obviously. Uh, across the hall from where they were doing the writing, another set of songwriters in another band were across the hall, smoking a cigarette, trying to wait on whether or not they got a record deal. And those two were Mick Jagger and Keith Richards from the Rolling Stones. I knew it. Oh, my God. That makes, uh, of course. And fun fact, that uh, I Want to Be Your Man was not, although not a chart hit by the Beatles, Mm -hmm. it was the first chart hit by the Rolling Stones. Oh my God, that's so crazy. Yep. And for those who don't believe me, take a listen to this. It was good enough to go to number 12 in both the U.S. and U.K. charts. Mm -hmm. I feel like that version, though, is definitely... Because when did that version come out? uh, That came out uh, early 64. Okay. Yeah, I feel like theirs is maybe a little bit more, like, I don't know, controversial, maybe a little more rustic, because it sounds a little bit more risque than theirs. It's definitely sleazier. Absolutely. Compared to Ringo's innocent Mm -hmm. version. And maybe that's why it didn't sit well with some people. People are like, we want more. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the Stones would provide more, but we're not talking about the Stones this episode. And uh, let's see. is As I mentioned before, yeah, this was released eight months, within eight months after Please Please Me came out. Wow, that's crazy. Because most people wait, what, two, three, sometimes five, ten years before between records. And mm-hmm. theirs is eight months. Yeah, that yeah, two, five years is the norm now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. Back then, hey, if you're popular, you want to keep that train going. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Uh, was there anything else we uh, didn't talk about as far as uh, with the Beatles goes? I think we're good. All right. Well, we're going to keep the Beatlemania train rolling and get into their very first movie. And we will do that in just a bit. And we are back, and it's time to enter the year 1964, the soundtrack to the their first and best movie, A Hard Day's Night. Mm-hmm. I don't agree with you on their best movie, but definitely, definitely one of their best, best out there. Absolutely. All right. Well, this is what the podcast is about, <laughs> getting different opinions, but 
Come on, the opening chord to the title track? You can't beat that chord. Oh, yes. It's been a hard day's life. I've been working like a dog. It's been a hard day's life. And she was just telling me she wanted to make that her ringtone. And I say, go for it. Or a text or a text notification. That'd be a good one. Perfect. Yes. I like that. Definitely. And I had the soundtrack album at number eight on my list. I had it higher. I had it at number six. All right. Yeah. I mean, it is a great soundtrack. I, Amazing. I think the movie's better than the soundtrack, but we'll get into that Absolutely. a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, one book in particular, the book Yeah, 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 which is a musical history mm-hmm. from the 50s through as recent as 2016 when Prince had passed away. Wow. Yeah, that's how current this is. It's a great book. The name of it is called Yeah, 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 The Story of Pop Music from Bill Haley to Beyonce Mm -hmm. by an author named Bob Stanley. Mm -hmm. Highly recommend that book. Uh, But what he said about this soundtrack is if you explain to a complete stranger, if a complete stranger walked up to you and asked him or her to explain the Beatles... The first thing you do is play this stranger, the soundtrack to Hard Day's Night. Mm-hmm. I I can't disagree with that. I can't disagree with it either. It's definitely a great, um, you know, intro to them. I feel, and I think that that's why I have this a lot higher on my list than I do the other intros because it's like this is this is who they are. I feel like, you know, they were kind of, they, cause like, I feel like, I feel like they were taking the first two albums to just kind of discover who they were. And then this is the first album where it's like, this is who we are. Yeah. And the soundtrack is def- And Stanley also mentions that that album is the pinnacle of their early era career. Mm-hmm. Couldn't, couldn't agree more. Yeah. It's really hard to argue with that one. <laughs> and, uh, Fun fact, it is actually the, the the urban legend is the title track, A Hard Day's Night is a Ringoism. And explain what that is. <laughs> okay, well, they were in the process of recording tracks for the album that would become A Hard Day's Night. There was no title for it, there was no idea for it, but they had put in a marathon week in the recording studio. And while Ringo was getting his drum set, he was saying, Lads, this has been a real hard day. And he looked out the window and saw that it was nighttime and just said, Day's night. A hard day's <laughs> night. That's your Ringo. <laughs> That's. It's been a hard day's night. I was going to say, it's been a hard day's night. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, the title track's great. Uh, we both agreed. Uh, on this next song being a highlight, complete with a nice harmonica intro. I should have uh, known better. Yes, I love this song. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's, I mean, there's definitely some greediness in those lyrics because yeah. Lennon's basically got the attitude. There's mm -hmm. got to be more to Dude. it than just love. Absolutely. And it's also kind of, I think he's kind of talking about like, you know, what a lot of guys go through. It's like, man, I, sh I should have thought about that before I, <laughs> before I asked you out. And it's like, mm, bro, come on. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, it was used perfectly in the movie. Too. Oh, God. Okay. Yeah. Uh, by the way. Um, another, <laughs> I have so many stories with my mom and the Beatles. <laughs> we could go. That's what this show is for. Go for it. <laughs> um, so my mom likes to test my knowledge of the Beatles. Mm -hmm. So one day we were in the, in the car or driving and, uh, this song came on the radio and my mom's like, pop quiz. When was this song played in the movie? And I'm like, when they're on the train and he's on the harmonica and they're playing cards. She's like, Oh, thank God. She's like, she's like, I don't need a DNA test. You are my child. Nice. <laughs> it's just very, yeah. And it's just, I think with my mom, she, this was definitely like, I saw this because I was introduced to Beals when the anthologies came out, which was 97, 98, right? Uh, um, yeah. Yeah. 95, 97. 95, 97. Yeah. And then 97 was when she let me watch Hard Day's Night for the first time because she had them all on tape. Nice. And she, so she let me watch that. And I think that this was also my introduction to comedy as well. Makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. So this is definitely, this is definitely one that I, I, I go back to, but it's definitely where I for sure fell in love with the music. Absolutely. Yeah. The music was definitely a highlight. Mm -hmm. Comedy was a very close second. It, it was, it, but there are so many scenes that I love from the movie. I love when, I love when John escapes in the bathtub. That is just sheer brilliance. <laughs> and then, and then, and George is teaching the guy how to shave. Yeah. <laughs> Which, by the way, I'm sorry, but that's like a Marx Brothers move. Like, oh, absolutely. Mind, like, I'm just like, dude, come on, you took that from Marx Brothers. And it's just, it's so, it's so great. And and I love how it's like so funny, but it's also at the same time, it's so innocent. There's no like, you know, they didn't have to make a bunch of dick jokes and stuff. Like it's like not a bunch of fart jokes. It's like they were just being silly guys. Hell yeah. And it was hilarious. Yeah, it was great. And Richard Lester is of course a master when it comes to comedy films back in that era. Uh, what else did he do? Uh, well, he did uh, he did a comedic uh, version of The Three Musketeers. Nice. He also directed Help. Oh, classic. And even though he gets a lot of flack for these two movies, I really liked his direction for Superman's 2 and 3. Okay. All right. So he definitely went a different route. Well, but I mean, back then, who knew? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, and one other John Lennon movie that Lester directed, How I Won the War from 1967. Oh, yeah. That's a very underrated movie. It is. Is it even on Blu-ray or anything? Can you stream it? I doubt. I bet if you dig hard, you could find it on YouTube. Possibly. Yeah. And if you know the, if you people listening know uh, if we can stream this or not, please uh, go to our website, go to the website anchor.fm, the random album website, leave a message and let us know if we can find this the easy way. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. I greatly appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. And there's a ton of highlights on this album. Uh, one song, If I Fell, was, according to John Lennon, the his first attempt at writing a proper ballad. 
if that was a first attempt, uh, I say he passed with fucking I flying gonna, colors. I was going to say, Jesus Christ, yeah. Yeah, really well done. Every cover I've heard of this song, so far, I mean, there's really wasn't that many, but none none of them held a candle. Not even the uh, yes, I'm ashamed to admit this. I owned a Looney Tunes Beatles covers album, oh. and Bugs Bunny couldn't even do the song justice. I will challenge you, my friend, <laughs> because Evan Rachel Wood did a beautiful job of it in Cross Universe. Okay, I will give you that. Yes, yeah. it's she did a great, great, great job. Granted, she's got a great singing voice, but it's also. Um, I've heard some covers. Believe it or not, Maroon Five does not 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 too shabby. Oh, covers. that's right. Yeah, yeah, I forgot about the acoustic album. They put yeah, I was out. gonna say yeah, and it's and it's all acoustic. And I do feel like I really like it acoustically. But I've actually heard a country cover of this that wasn't too bad either. I th- I think I know which one you're talking about because yeah, yeah. I have heard a country cover. Uh, oh. I know there was a country Beatles tribute album, and I know. Uh, uh, a guy named Sammy Kershaw mm-hmm. had covered. Is that the version you were talking about, or am I? I, think- I don't know. I heard this years ago, and I don't even remember who sang it. But I'm. It's probably along those lines. Yeah. Was it a George Jones clone? Probably. Okay, then it's Sammy <laughs> Kershaw. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I I think it's a classic. I, I think that this is like their attempt at like doing like a classic ballad love song, and I think it's great, and I think it. It also kind of talks about like you know because a lot of the a lot of the songs that they sang were like you know about falling over girl but like this is also about like you know something that I do think that people struggle with it's like you know uh, I I do want to be with you but I've been with another person and I don't want it to be like you know was <laughs> was this John Lennon's way of saying like I know what it's like to be sloppy seconds. <laughs> <laughs> In a classier ma- in, manner, in, yes. In, well, in, a Brit- in a British way. In a British way, you just write a song about it. That's how it, go- that's how it goes. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah, the, the lyrics are just powerful because I the way I had first listened to it and the more I listened to uh, If I Fell, it was more, let's see how we end up in front of uh if we walk past say my ex-girlfriend because mm-hmm. the line is that's uh, and she and that she would cry when she learns we, we are, are two and uh, yeah it's yeah it's kind of it's kind of about that like you know what what happens when you know you've been with somebody that relationship hasn't worked out you want to start another relationship but that person you're still kind of in contact with and then it's like you know one of those things luckily i live like 700 miles away from my exes so it's it's all good uh, well, I wish I could say that, but uh, mentally I'm 700 miles away from my ex, and that's important. <laughs> that is important. It's like, hey, listen, it's all good. Yeah, and we're talking about uh, class from John Lennon's If I Fell, another classy tune written by Lennon and McCartney but sung by George. You can't get any classier on this album than I'm Happy Just to Dance With You. He's not, as you can find out, he's not asking for much. Mm-hmm. 
He doesn't want a commitment. He doesn't want marriage. He doesn't want a new car to the deal. He just wants to dance with he you. He just wants to dance with you, bro. It just like it just goes to show how like innocent things were back then. Cause like you know that there were like sock cops and Sadie Hawkins where this song was played and people were just dancing and like God, times were so innocent. It's not like it is now when people get pregnant at 13. <laughs> Yeah, and when you have radio hits, uh, for example, Enrique Iglesias says, uh, Tonight I'm Fucking You from mm -hmm. 2013, I believe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. like direct and way too forward, at least with I'm Happy Just to Dance, dance with, with You. you. There's an innocence. It's like, I don't want like, much. I feel like this gave geeks a chance. You know what I mean? They're like, I don't care. Like, I don't want to date you. I just want to dance you, dance with you. And I'm like, that's that's sweet. That's sweet, I agree. Man. Yeah. So sweet. Uh, much better times, man. I much agree. Yeah, I'll drink to that. Mm. Yeah, and I, I almost said this is my favorite George Harrison, uh, one of my favorite George Harrison compositions, but I forgot he didn't write this. Leonard McCartney did. He just Harrison just simply sang it, which is mm. another Leonard McCartney tune that they just threw to George. Mm -hmm. It's like let the guy write more. Yeah, they should yeah. have let him write it's, more. It's it's one of those things, you know, and. And, you know, people give George and Ringo so much shit. And it's just like, here's the thing. I understand that Lennon and McCartney are the peanut butter, but George and Ringo are the jelly. It, it, you have to have them together in order for the band to be the band. Because I'm sorry, you know, Pete Best was replaced for a reason. Do you think that the Beatles would have become the Beatles without if, if Pete Best was the player? Who knows? Who knows? Agreed. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like... You, I understand that like they might not be the strongest songwriters, but they're still a part of the band. You can't have a rock band without a drummer. It just doesn't work. Right. Yeah, and Harrison's songwriting would become uh, increased as the years would progress. Absolutely. I think he took he took a few notes from John and Paul. Oh, for sure. Uh, I would think this would be one of them. The next song on the soundtrack that was featured during their outdoor, one of the outdoor romp scenes. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Debuted at number 25 in uh, March of 1964 and had, for a time, had the record of the biggest leap to number one in one short week. I am talking about, ah, take it away, boys. Yeah, and the week that it was number one, April week of April 4th, 1964, they had dominated the top five because it was Can't Buy Me Love, Love Me Do, mm -hmm. Please Please Me, uh -huh. uh, P.S. I Love You, and I Want to Hold Your Hand. Wow. So it's like all, and all of those I think they have performed on Ed Sullivan too at that uh, point. Yes. Yeah, and so it's just, yeah, and it goes to show you how just kind of can make that leap. I, I mean, I think this is a classic pop tune. It's almost like, I feel like this is their um, One Direction's You Don't Know You're Beautiful, basically. Ooh. Ooh. Maybe. Or, Maybe. okay, okay, I'm a better comparison, a comparison that we can agree with. Maybe this is their, like, Sync's Bye Bye Bye. I would accept that. A, that would make a lot more sense <laughs> than what makes you beautiful. <laughs> I get it. You don't like 1D, and I'm not a fan. It's all good. 
Yeah, but if any uh, 1D fans are listening or offended, uh, I will say Harry Styles solo albums are solid. Oh my God, they're amazing. They're pretty solid. They're really good. Another episode for another time. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the chart domination, as I said, the all the top five positions were dominated. They had 14 songs all together on the Hot 100. Off the top of my head, I can't. I can't remember all 14 other than the top five, but the lowest charting one they had that week was at number 42. That's still technically, I mean, I would still technically put that in the top 40. Yeah. I would still technically, yeah. Uh Yeah, it was a safe bet that Beatlemania was not going anywhere for a while. Absolutely not. Yeah, and yeah, the the movie's just great. Mm. It's one of those, um, I think it's hard to find out. I know you can definitely find it on DVD. They had a 20-year anniversary edition that I that my mom owns, and it's fabulous. Hours and hours of um, extra commentary stuff. Really, really fun. Definitely something to invest in if you are a true Beals fan. Uh, also, just a great comedy. And uh, we were kind of talking ahead of time about how you know, I feel like the movies that they did definitely paved the way for a lot of British comedies. Oh, yes. I see a lot of, um, what well, we were just talking about the Marx Brothers earlier, but I even think, like, you know, there's, I see a lot of Peter Sellers' influence in there. Oh, absolutely. I, mean, I see a lot of, and, and I, I feel like this is almost kind of like an intro to Monty Python. I'm inclined to believe that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, definitely for sure, because especially with the next movie, which will be coming up yeah. later on this uh, episode. I mean, yeah, it was like it makes total sense. <laughs> yeah, it's so hard to jump ahead, but it's, I know we we want to so bad, but <laughs> we have to do it. But... Yes, uh, one fun fact regarding this movie: uh, at the uh, near the end of the movie, when they uh, per- performing the six song medley, mm-hmm. uh, another soon-to-be pop star was in the crowd in an uncredited role. I can sum it up to you in one expression. I can feel it calling in the air tonight. Phil Collins. Phil Collins was in the crowd in that movie. That is awesome. Yeah, he was, I believe he said he was 16, 17 when he was in was he was it just like one of those things where you just like show up and be an extra kind of thing? He, he must have. And uh, he explained that his hair had been a bit long that day during filming that he was mistaken for one of the screaming girls. <laughs> which, yeah. which it probably helped him in that situation. I mean Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god, that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't you love when greatness is involved, especially when the Beatles are right there in the center of it? <laughs> oh my god! Well, so um, I um, do we know along the timeline when um, a Hard Day's Night came out, and then they did the concert at Shea Stadium? Uh, Hard Day's Night came out in 1964, and I believe the Shea Stadium show. I believe that was, was that their last concert or was that Candlestick Park? That was their uh, Candlestick Park was their last concert. Okay. Shea Stadium was, I th- believe, almost a year after Hard Day's Night okay. came out. So then as, another story here. Um, my mom was at that concert at the, the Shea Stadium. My mom was there. My mom, I don't know how she got tickets. I don't know how she got tickets. But also, this was back in the day when tickets were like five bucks you know what i mean as opposed to like i don't want to tell you what i've spent on katie perry tickets (laughs) um 
And so it was just like, it was, you know, tickets were super cheap. She somehow knew somebody got tickets, wow. snuck out of the house, snuck out of the house, took the train to Shea Stadium and, and saw them. And she definitely got in trouble with my grandma. But like, I mean, I, 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 I would do that too. And then um, years later, I find out, do you know who was also at that concert? Uh, no, I don't. Well, uh, a, a person by the name of Whoopi Goldberg. What? Are you serious? It's not all, my friend. Another person was there, too. She's a national treasure. I think you've heard of her. Her name is Meryl fucking Streep. No shit. My mom was in the same vicinity as Whoopi Goldberg, but Meryl Streep. Like, that, that blows my mind. That is one hell of a story. Wow. I'm kind of jealous of this, actually. I, you'll, you'll, well, you'll meet my mom at the wedding. She'll, 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 I mean, she obviously didn't run into her because they weren't who they were back then. But right. it's just like, I mean, you know, people people came in from all over for that show. I mean, I think it was like, it was a, because it, it was a thing, you know? And I just, the fact that my mom got to see that, I'm just like, oh, and by the way, People ask, well, do you, does she still have her ticket stub? My mom lost that tip, ticket stub. And I am Ooh. I am bitter about that to this very day. Because, yes, I admit that my first concert was in sync. But, dude, that thing is cellophane wrapped. And, like, I am keeping that to show my kids. Like, you know, you have to keep that. <laughs> of and course. she never kept that. And I'm just, Ooh. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do some digging to see if I can find it somewhere. I don't know. Well, I'm sure you'll find it. Mm-hmm. If she doesn't find it first, you will. I'm I'm pretty sure. Of I this. was honestly thinking about just um, as like a gift to her, trying to see if somebody would sell me their old one or like a copy of it and give it to her, just so she has something. You know what I mean? She doesn't have because this was back. Before, they didn't do shirts back then. You sure. know what I mean? And I'm just like, oh man, how do you come on? <laughs> oh man, that. You know, I'm glad you wanted to do this episode. I, 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 you. I, you I got told you. Stories. I told you. I got. I got. I got all the dirt, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. And yeah, is there anything we haven't discussed regarding the album or even the movie? I I think we covered pretty much everything. All right. Now we've got a couple more albums left, and I, I know, like I like I said, they had 13 albums, but we're gonna have the second half. On a few on next week's episode, but we're we've still got two more to go, and I am pretty sure. Or no, we've got th three more. Mm -hmm. Oh damn! All right, we're working overtime. Five months after the release of the Hard Day's Night soundtrack, the Beatles release album number four, Beatles for Sale. I see what they did there. I don't. I don't know if that was the intention, but I, it's brilliant when you think mm. about it. I dig it. Yeah, I had this actually at number nine on my list. Not too far away from it. I have mine at number eleven for me. Okay. Uh, not that's not because it's a bad album because it it's a great album. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, as we will find out and progress more into. The Beatles, they did put out better material. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm like, it's not like a thing. Uh, yeah, because actually a song on here, and we can kind of go into this in the highlights, um, was a song that I felt like belonged more on the Hard Day's Night album as opposed to the, as opposed to this album. Oh, which one would that be? That would be Eight Days a Week. 
you know, I can sort of see that. Uh-huh. That definitely belongs on the soundtrack. I agree. That's how you know you're in deep with this person yeah. eight days a week. I mean, legit. Yeah. And it's still not enough. I know. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I love it. I love it just because of it's it's a good pop tune. It's very it's 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 snappy, but it's also like one of those like classic teeny bopper kind of love songs. And and I just feel like it fits more. I feel like it was a great kind of I, I just I still don't get why it was on a hard day's night, but then again, was it one of those that was recorded later? And I think it it might have been, yeah. It sounds about right, yeah. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, and that's funny you mentioned eight days a week. It was on the Beatles for Sale album mm-hmm. in 1964. We didn't get it till 1965 in this country. It was a standalone single. It was not on the Beatles for Sale release mm-hmm. in America. Interesting. Interesting. I wonder why that would be. It might have been because with A Hard Day's Night, they might have had too many songs on there, which, by the way, is not a rule now. I mean, back then with records, you kind of had to because you only had two sides. But nowadays, I mean, obviously, they can just put as many songs as they want to. It could have been that reason, but then it could have also been that, you know, maybe they did want to release it as alone as a single and see how well that did because we've seen success with a lot of artists now who just release single after single and get phenomenal success that way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. People seem to be going the uh, singles route now more than ever. Absolutely. Absolutely. And honestly, I kind of like it because that way they can always experiment with something different. Exactly. Yeah, but I don't think the album is far from dead yet. Oh God. No, please don't. That would be horrible. For sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, Eight Days a Week is definitely a highlight. And this other song on here, I believe, is also a highlight. So you agree with me on this one, too. One day you look to see I've gone For tomorrow be rain, so I'll follow the sun Someday it was one of those rare occasions where Paul McCartney got his sap on, but it worked. It, it's such an innocent song. I feel like it, that's one of those songs that people come back to. It definitely was like, I feel like a sign of the times because it was definitely like, you know, the mid 60s and we're kind of getting away from that 1950s pop. But here's a little zhuzh of it for you to kind of keep you going. And there you go. Yeah. Okay. It's a good description of that song too. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I, there is a. I think there is a bit of Everly Brothers influence in that absolutely. song. Absolutely, a little a, bit, but a, 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 a smith, a dash. It's it's there. It's absolutely no. I I love it, and this is a is this a Lennon McCartney writing or did Paul do this? I think it's. I mean, it was listed as Lennon McCartney, but it's totally. Paul, for sure. Absolutely. Um, this is one of those occasions, though, where Paul's singing, but he kind of sounds like George. Ooh. Yeah. 
I, I never really really like when I first heard the song, I always thought it was George King, but then I was like, oh yeah, it's Paul. I'm like, really? <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah, definitely. Uh, very George. I didn't even think about that until you said something, but it was very George sounding. But and it's, it's Paul. like, wonder, and I wonder if he maybe wanted to kind of like, you know, give give a little like wink nod to George or just kind of be like, maybe try to do something solo-esque that George George was doing. Because I feel like George already had, I mean, he was definitely a part of the band, but he was definitely already starting to kind of go his own route, which, you know, obviously paid off. Uh, obviously, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, George Harrison, his first album was a three LP set. And holy shit, you can't top that. So good. Again, another episode. Yes. We're not talking about solo Beatles. We're just talking about the Beatles. We're mm-hmm. including the Fab Four as a unit. Okay. Um, one song on here, the opening track, uh, I guess nowadays that would be considered a bit of a restraining order. Mm-hmm. Uh, the song is called No Reply. Oh, yeah. No Reply. In the interview with Playboy magazine from September 1980, uh, Lennon said, quote, that's my song. That's the one where Dick James, the publisher, said, that's the first complete song you've written where it resolves itself. Mm -hmm. You know, with a complete story. I had that image of walking down the street and seeing her silhouetted in the window and not answering the phone. Although I never called a girl on the phone in my life because phones weren't part of the English child's life. (laughs) Interesting how times have changed. I mean, phones weren't that uh, important part in the child's life in England, but now everybody's on a phone. Well, to be fair, they grew up in a very, very small town. Everybody knew each other's business. You didn't really need a phone. True. You know? Um, And also, back then, I mean, it was one of those things where, like, people still wrote letters. And I hate that people still don't write letters. Because letters, I feel like, are very personal, you know? And I feel like people should do that. And not not an email. You know what I mean? A letter. Send a letter or just a thank you note. Do you know how many wedding gifts I've sent out and not getting, gotten a thank you note? It's infuriating. I can imagine, yeah. And, I mean, shit, when JC and I got married, yeah, we sent thank you notes. Oh, no, you best believe every single gift I'm getting come October, I am writing a thank you note. Oh, we look forward to that in the mail. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. Uh, as far as Beals for Sale goes... Do you think this was mostly John Lennon's album as far as the, not just the vocals, but as far as the songwriting goes? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I definitely feel like John liked to, I mean, John and Paul were a good team. Don't get me wrong, but he definitely had times where he wanted to dominate, you know, and this was definitely one of those, those times. But in the book that I've got here, by the way, the book is called A Hard Day's Right, Steve Turner. It's where they go for every single song that the Beatles have written. And it's got pictures and everything. And it's incredible. And it seems to me that um, some of their songs uh, just, it goes into so many different things. But um, a song that I know that you really like, um, I'm a Loser, was inspired by Bob Dylan. 
Yes, he. Yeah. In fact, Lennon has confirmed that was during Lennon's Dylan phase. It sounds like this would have belonged on uh, the bringing it all back home or even uh, the another side of Bob Dylan album. Absolutely. Absolutely. He was very, I mean, I could tell that it was very influenced um, by that, but I don't, did, has Dylan ever said that he was a Beatles fan? Uh, believe it or not, Dylan has admitted, at least back in the 60s, he was far from a Beatles fan. Because he doesn't come across as a Beatles fan at all. But it could have been one of those things where John probably saw that Dylan was Dylan was a poet, for sure. Yes. And John wanted to kind of be a part of that. And it's like, dude, you were that on your own already. You didn't need Dylan to tell you. Right. And we will be talking about Dylan uh, quite a bit, not just on this episode, but in part two. You're going to love what he said about Sergeant Pepper. Oh, God, I can only imagine. <laughs> I'm sorry, but like, Dylan's, I might offend some people, but isn't Dylan like a big dick? Like, people like don't really like Dylan. I mean, isn't that? I think he's a good songwriter, but yes, as a Minnesotan, I can honestly say I think Bob Dylan comes off as a jackass. Absolutely, because he doesn't like to admit that he's from here, whereas, you know, Prince was like, yeah, this is my house here in Minneapolis. Yep. Come, come visit it anytime, <laughs> you know? And, and it's just, you know, and I, and that's kind of one of the things, it's kind of like you see the opposite sides of the spectrum. And it's like, I wonder, like, was Dylan always that way? Or did Dylan become that way when he became a songwriter? I always wonder, because you kind of wonder, as the Beatles go on in their career, you definitely see that John changes as a person yes. completely. And I wonder if, you know, he maybe took a few cues from Dylan. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not pointing any fingers. I'm just making an observation. Well, we shall see, because that'll be talked about on the next album. But before we get into the next album, I do have a guilty pleasure song from Beatles for Sale. Okay. Uh, in fact, it is, I guess you could say this is the closest the Beatles or even John Lennon would get to writing a country song. It only got as high as number 38 on the pop charts, but I loved it. Uh, the song, I Don't Want to Spoil the Party. It's too bad he considers that and a few other songs he's written with the Beatles as throwaways because they all have their certain charm. Yeah, I no, I, I completely agree. I definitely see that country influence with this song. I really, I like it too. I think it's definitely got like kind of like a quirky like poppiness. But, um, but yeah, I could see why this would definitely be a throwaway song because they're just like, oh, come on. <laughs> Don't even. Why? You know, but no, I like this. I think that this is very, it's, it's fun. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I think we can all agree the worst song on this album. Oh, I think it is. Uh, it, thank God he didn't, none of them wrote it, but Mr. Moonlight is a whore. That is the worst Beatles cover. It's I think. not, I don't like it at all. It's not a good cover. Also, it doesn't, 
it doesn't give them anything. You know what I mean? It's just, it's just there. And it's like, dude, I get what you were trying to do, but I don't know. It, but the thing is, when you're a musician, you have so many people telling you what to do. And it could have been one of those things where the label's like, we need you to do another cover. The covers are selling great. We need you to do another cover. It's like, dude, you don't need to do another cover. You've got so many other music out there. Absolutely. Uh, is there anything else we, we uh, haven't that we forgot to talk about as far as this album goes? I think we're good. All right. Well, you, funny how you mentioned having more covers on the next album. Uh, this next album would be the last time for a while that there would be any covers. Uh-huh. And this was also the soundtrack to their second film. And wouldn't you know it, aside not just a pop song that went to the top of the charts, this was Lennon's admitted cry for help. He was in a deep depression around mm -hmm. this time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can see where that would be. Um, Lennon, I mean, this was, you know, era before, you know, medication and therapy and stuff. But he has um, well yes. admitted that uh, he dealt with a lot of, um, lot of um, mental health issues. But, you mm -hmm. know... That's also why I love this song, because it puts, you know, needing help in kind of a poppy tune, just being like, hey, you know, you know, and I feel like it's very re relatable now. You know, I feel like a lot of people need. Help oh, sometimes. definitely. Yeah. 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 And there's been quite a few uh, covers in this one. One that stood out was uh, Rory Orbison actually did oh, a cover. Nice. 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 Yeah. One of the last things he did before passing away was during a John Lennon tribute. Oh, nice. Concert. Great. Yeah. Oh, God. I love me some Orbison. Yeah. Again, the connection between the Beatles and Orbison. It's mm -hmm. one and the same. Okay. Uh, one interesting note about the America. Oh, before we dive into this, okay. let's find out where we ranked it. I had this at number seven. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just checking my fiance. No um, worries. Where did I put this? This is number four for me. You had it pretty high up there. I love this album i think because i love the movie more you said that a hard day's night is your favorite movie help is my favorite movie i think help is a great um just it's a great comic film again we're talking about how it's clean humor mm -hmm. crazy sidekick again i feel like you know what a great double feature night would be help monty python the holy grail yes absolutely because again, we're talking about like so many, you know, we're both huge Monty Python heads. I feel like this is a perfect segue into Monty Python. And I feel like as a child, when I saw this movie, this is how I really felt about comedy. But also, I love Ringo. I really, really love Ringo. Oh, this is and totally love, his movie. And I love how he was highlighted in this movie. I'm like, yes, give him some love. He always gets like thrown to the side. And it's not fair because he's awesome. I love Ringo, and this was his time to shine. And <laughs> a quote, a quote that my mom and I always used to do was when that guy comes over and he's like, "Hey, Biathel, want some gold?" And then Paul McCartney to go just goes, "No, it turns your fingers green." <laughs> yep. It's just, it's 
so great. And the gags and everything is just when they when they shrink down Paul accidentally. <laughs> he comes like it's like, oh, you're all sticky. What's going on? I got some orange juice. It's just <laughs> it's great. If you don't, if you've never seen the movie, you can rent it on iTunes. Um uh, you can also get the DVD, I believe, at Barnes & Noble. There's a 20th anniversary edition that I own. Again, great. Tons yeah. of special features. I just, I love it. It's fantastic. For sure. And one of my favorite uh, side gags was when they're in the restaurant. Yes. And uh, let's see, John. I think John Leonard ordered soup. And first he had a pair of glasses in his oh, soup. Oh, God, I forgot about this. Yes, yes, yes. But the best one was when uh, pulled, I think it was some sort of ticket. He's like, what's this? Ringo's like, season ticket, what do you think it is? And John's like, oh, I love seasoning in my soup. <laughs> it's just, again, I think this is a great, if you, I honestly think if you want to kind of introduce a kid to comedy, you know, I would show them like this, Caddyshack, yes. Ghostbusters. And I mean, I feel like that's a prime, it's a prime way. Because here's the thing. I know British comedy is its own like side side right. of business. So I mean, I would say, yeah, yeah, I would say if if and when I have a child, I'm gonna show them like this, and then like Ghostbusters, and then that's gonna be a perfect like intro to comedy. There we go. Yeah, I'm, I will see those two movies and raise you an airplane. You know what? Uh, but you'd have to wait them to be a little bit older for airplane. Ghostbusters, they can do when they're a little bit younger. Okay, yeah, that's fair. That's mm -hmm. fair. Mm -hmm. uh, one thing I should point out, uh, the American release of the soundtrack is completely different than the one that we became used to. Mm -hmm. uh, the American soundtrack has more instrumentals. There was, I believe, an Indian-style version instrumental of A Hard Day's Night called mm -hmm. Another Hard Day's Night. Mm -hmm. Obviously, George Harrison influence. Yep, mm -hmm. sitar in hand. You know it. And... Help, the title track, had a James Bond-like intro, 20-second intro before Absolutely. it kicked in. Absolutely, yeah. It's great. Yeah. I, I I know it's a little cheesy, but I again, they were going with the times, and those films were big back in the day. Oh, yeah. And he and I were kind of talking about how we saw a lot of influence with this movie and, like, the Austin Powers films about those, like, kind of, like, side gags quirkiness, and I... I, I really hope that Mike Myers took some notes from this film because it I, I definitely I see it. Definitely, yeah. There's definitely hints of Hard Day's Night and even Help as far mm -hmm. as Austin Powers goes, but mm -hmm. I definitely see the correlation between Help and the Monty Python mm -hmm. movies. It's right there. It's right there. Yeah, and even the TV series. Oh God, yes, absolutely. Uh, and a couple of the highlights. It's just back-to-back -back highlights on this one. I was going to say, I'm like, I don't think there's a song in this album that I, like, hate. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, the whole, as I've, as I've said, Help is a better soundtrack than a movie, but that's neither here nor there right now. Mm -hmm. But the soundtrack is awesome. Uh, I think it's some of McCartney's strongest songwriting, oh. specifically in uh, The Night Before. Oh. Yeah. Very good jam. Oh. I 
absolutely love what they do with the harmony there. And people don't, the thing that I love about the Beatles is that they really incorporated harmony. You you saw that with doo-wop groups, but you never saw that in like a pop group. Right, and, yes. And with them, the harmony, like the, like, uh, the night before, I, I, I love it. And it was the one time, because like, you know, when I like uh, did like choir in school and stuff, I never realized the importance of harmony and then when you like see it in like pop it's so cool it and, is and I yes love how they did that and just and this is a great i know i love it it's a, it's a great jam yeah lennon and harrison really delivered on the harmony vocals oh god yeah yeah and it's so weird how like again i always think about this it's like you you think that if like you know another person was in the band would they have been the band you know what i mean agreed and it's like just like how Mm. Yeah, and when you really think about it, this particular album was back then way ahead of its time because mm. they were breaking rules back then. Absolutely, and definitely like not, um, definitely not gonna be. Definitely, I think that this was their album where they're like, okay, we've made it. We're gonna do some stuff that like is gonna be a little, you know, controversial. But you know what? They could do that. They already had the chops. They're they're selling the money. For first of all, I mean, like back then, their movie. Like I remember my mom. <laughs> great, another great mom story. <laughs> my mom stayed at the theater all day to watch a Hard Day's Night. Oh wow! And I think she did the same thing with Help. So it's like it was one of those things. But, but again, to see a movie was like a dollar, you know. And if you saved up all your allowance money. And, you know, and my mom lived in New York and she was just, you know, it's so crazy how, like, you know, my mom would just take the train by herself, right. go to the movie theater <laughs> and, you know, watch it all day. But, I mean, again, you know, when you're a kid and you don't, you know, and schoolwork's already done, that that's just what you did. So it's like, imagine, you know, they're baking box office records. They're like, dude, these people are making money. We're going to let them do what they want to do. But um, I'd like to segue into probably my favorite song from this album yes which is um you've got to hide your love away fuck yes i love this song so much please go uh, absolutely about this with this song love it so much i feel that because the beatles grew up in england where you're known to like you know you grab a pint somebody brings out a piano and they play a song i feel like they were almost kind of trying to do a version of that song where it's like we want to do like a pub song mate and just like really make it killer and i i love that and there was um it was like absolutely five four or five years ago maybe even more um joseph gordon levitt was hosting snl and they did a skit with uh mumford and sons yes yeah 
you see that where there was hey dude and the basically like the guys were sitting there and they were all like confessing to all these like weird things but the song that was overplaying was like hey you got that and so i love that it's kind of like gotten a new life for this but this is such a good jam and i love i love this especially in the movie because when you see them all like playing to it and then and then ringo's just like sitting there with his camera he's just like yeah (laughs) it's the best part it's the best part it is yeah and you got paul flirting with the girl everybody was flirting with the girl of course Mm-hmm. And Liam McCurran playing the villain mm-hmm. with that uh, that uncomfortable manhole cover oh, tied to his head, is, I think, going hey that. hey yeah totally <laughs> yeah and an interesting story about that where we did mention we were talking about connections between Dylan and the Beatles you know how you always want to impress people you look up to oh look what I did I thought of you when I did this and the reaction ends up being not what you want oh of course so. Lennon met Dylan around this time. Of course he did. He played a song for Dylan. He says, I thought of you, and I was inspired by music, and I came out with this. He played, hey, you've got to hide your love away. As soon as the song finished, Dylan looked Lennon right in the eye and said, oh, I get it. You guys don't want to be cute anymore. What in the hell? Do you think that maybe Dylan, again, I feel like Dylan's kind of known for being a dude. Yes. So maybe it was his version of, you know, this, I'm just going to make up my own story. I'm going to make up my own story. Maybe that, maybe Dylan knew that that was going to be a hit because obviously, and um, maybe he was just like, damn it, why don't I think of it first? (laughs) So that's what I'm going to go with. I, you know what? I believe that. Mm -hmm. Because here's the thing. When you reach a certain level of success, there isn't a single person that doesn't have a smidge of envy. Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah, and there was one other song on here. Oh, can you... I've got, I've got a story about that one. Yes. Uh, hold on a second here. Yes, we're talking about uh, You're Gonna Lose That Girl. Yes. Um, okay, so uh, this was probably one of the first songs that I, like, I absolutely loved it. And again, like I said, my mom gave me the tape that had um, A Hard Day's Night and Help on it. Mm-hmm. And I really, really liked this song, and so I would, like, rewind the tape to listen to the song again because my mom didn't have the soundtracks yet. She Well, she didn't, she had the record. She didn't have the CDs yet. She didn't, hadn't gotten the CDs. And so I was just like, I would like listen to it over and over again. This was before, you know, cell phones, YouTube and all that stuff. Right. And so I played over and over again and my dad heard it downstairs. And my dad was like, if you play that song one more time, I'm going to burn that tape. He, he didn't, but I, I, I realized then I was like, okay, I was listening to it a little too much. I'm sorry. <laughs> Yeah, You're Gonna Lose That Girl is a very underrated track. It's so good. I love it. Again, the harmony with that is beautiful. And then, but it's also at the same time where it's like Ringo doesn't get enough credit. His drum intermissions to that are so smooth. Agree. So smooth. So yes. smooth. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. And I, w- I will add to that, uh, even though it was uh, four, it was four guys singing this song, I had, there were some shades of 60s girl groups, specifically oh, the Ronettes, the Crystals. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. There was that little, like, 
doo-woppy version to it but i think that that's because it was a combination of that but definitely there was some rock and roll in there mm -hmm. and so yeah i just i i love it i think it's a great you know i mean i prefer it a lot i prefer this a lot more to some of their earlier stuff where it was very very girl groupy because they were a lot more established now at and that they point could, yeah they could be so much stronger um something i also want to just get a smidge on to is a harrison solo song on this album i need you agreed yes absolutely beautiful and, and a very underrated song and kind of i feel like it's almost harrison's version of yesterday Ooh. think about it think about it yeah. Would that I mean? Would that really be um, Harrison's yesterday? Or I mean, I know we're jumping ahead here, but uh, are you sure? Wouldn't think of say something. Mm -mm, mm -mm. No, I, I feel like it's I need you because he would have had to do it sooner to show that he was thing. Something was George's own, like that was his own path that he carved out. Quite greatly, my friend, but again, that's for a later episode. Yes. <laughs> but with this one here, I feel like he wanted to kind of do his own version of that to show that he was a strong songwriter because, again, people weren't listening to George and Ringo. They were like, it was all about John and Paul. And listen, I get it, but this is great. It is. It's good stuff. Don't believe us? Take a listen. Exactly. version in the movie he really shined granted oh it's th the only way to listen to it in my opinion is to look up the youtube clip and see him singing in the movie it's there's so much sincerity there i swear i think i fell in love with george in that moment i really did i really did <laughs> george I mean, and I, battlefield got I mean, it <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, I mean i love them all equally but you know that was that was george's moment you know because it's ringo's movie as it should yes. be because he needed some lov but with with this, it was just really like, oh, it's just it's such a sweet song. That's almost like, you know what? I want to look up to see if any couples have danced to that for their first wedding dance, because that's a really good one. And if they haven't, I say claim it. No, 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 no. <laughs> no. We already got ours. Okay. Well, I guess we'll, we'll find we'll, I'll we'll find, find out at the wedding. You'll, you'll find out in October. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's no secret the Beatles are pioneers for different sounds and and what have you over the course of the 60s. Uh, if I told you they were pioneers for heavy metal, what would you say? Absolutely. Nothing, nothing, nothing you say about them would surprise me. Well, there we go then. And as far as John Lennon goes, he described this song as pretty fucking heavy. But uh, yeah, I think it's a pioneer for heavy metal. Ticket to Ride.
Yeah, because you weren't hearing, nobody was hearing anything like that in the 60s. There was nothing out there like that. And what I love about it, when you look at that in the movie, it's like their first music video. I mean, these were like, yes. yeah, it was like their first music video because music videos weren't, you know, a thing back in the 60s. No. And if you look up the song on Vivo, this will, the part of the movie will show up. Yes. And it's a great, it's, you know, again, they're like all being around being silly. But yeah, I can totally see that because it's a very, it's not only heavy in, you know, some of the chords, but it's heavy in the lyrics. Because that's what people don't really associate with heavy metal. They're like, oh, yeah, it's the heavy, grungy, like, uh, 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 uh. Yeah. It's like, also, but, like, when you listen to a lot of heavy metal songs, it's like, your mom sucks. Ah. <laughs> so it's like, I'm like, you're dealing with a sad, sad subject. The girl that you're in love with is leaving town. That's a heavy heavy subject that even more so that she don't care exactly exactly so it's like it's like oh you've got that piled on top of that yeah it's a complete pioneer for heavy metal again there are so many bands that wouldn't have a chance if it wasn't for these guys so i understand if you're not a beatles person like i get it but just show your respect you know because i i personally i'm not a beyonce fan i don't get it but i certainly show her some respect Right, yeah, and that's and the same goes for a few other pop stars. There's too many to name, and we don't have the time for me to ramble on. That's about a them. whole different podcast. Yeah, uh, I mentioned how I don't want to spoil the party was uh, one of the very one. Did I say it was the only? Yeah, I think I said it was the only attempt to country. I I made a mistake. Oh, my first taste of this song was actually on the American release of the Rubber Soul album that I got as a birthday present years mm-hmm. ago, and wouldn't you know it? By your wife. Uh no, actually, uh, I was I was eight years old when I got oh, okay. the Rubber Soul album and Magical Mystery Tour from a really cool aunt, my aunt Amy. Oh, that's really thank cool. you. Yes, oh, that's sweet. Oh, that's so sweet. But I didn't know until I became a teenager that this song was on the Help soundtrack, mm-hmm. and the song I'm referring to is "I've Just Seen a Face." Another good McCartney Sap song. Absolutely. Um, so my favorite version of this song is of course from Across the Universe. I love, I love the whole bowling scene, but um what I love about it, when you listen to that version, it's a lot faster. It's like, I've just seen a face, I can't forget the time of yes. place where we just met. She's just a girl for me, and I want all the world to see we've met. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this is country-inspired, but also just like a nice, genuine pop song about falling in love. Because everybody knows the feeling of when you see that person, you're just like, oh my god. That's mm-hmm. that's it. That's it. That's it. You know, Absolutely. when I swipe when I swipe right on Tinder, that's how, that's how I know. <laughs> Your wife the same thing, I assume. Yes. Oh, that's so cute. <laughs> that's so cute. She's listening. That's why you had to say yes. Right? Of, of course, mm-hmm. yes. I love you, JC. Mm-hmm. <laughs> love you, TM. <laughs> uh, one more. Uh, well, we'll play, there's one more song on the album I like to play, but before I do that. Uh, is there a least favorite song on this album? 
in your honest opinion. In my honest opinion. We mean, we're not going to play it, but I'm just curious. I'm just curious. I am just, I'm kind of looking. Sorry, I'm looking through the book right now to see. Um, You know, probably, maybe, because these are both on there, right? Uh, let's see. Yes, it is, and I'm down. Are those are on past masters? Okay, so that doesn't really. I, I feel like that doesn't really count. Um, maybe once, just because I'm not from too familiar with it. I mean, another girl is fine, but maybe. Um, yeah, it's only love is kind of a throwaway for me. I'm just kind of like. Lennon would agree with you on that one. He I said that is one of his least favorite songs he's ever written. It's. Just, I feel like it's. It's not. I feel like it's a throwaway song. I feel like it's maybe one of those that they had to throw on because mm -hmm. the album was awesome. I don't know. I just don't. I don't get it. Yeah, I don't mind that one as much. Uh, though I think my least favorite off that soundtrack was the Harrison's "You Like Me Too Much." Yeah, yeah, I yeah, and that too. And I mean, again, not dissing Harrison at all. Love you so much, bro. R.I.P. But like, it's just, it's not. But again, I feel like those were kind of like throw in there just to like, you know, give you some street cred. But it's like he didn't need the with the I need you. He did not need the you like me too much at all. Exactly. It was just like, just don't. I mean, he could have honestly saved this, put this on the break side for a solo album. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I need you was intelligent. You like me too much was just way too simple for my liking. Nothing against simple songs, but it's. It's when that's the thing with it's only love. It's just everything you need to know about it is in the title. It's like snakes on a plane. It's like the movie title tells you exactly what's going on. <laughs> it's almost too simple. It's just like, come on, give me some more. Exactly. And we cannot close out talking about the help soundtrack without one last song. Yeah, and this was also a first as far as the Beatles recording goes because none of the other members. It was just Paul and a backup orchestra. Yeah, and that's also what I think why I think the song is so popular because it's just it's just a guitar and an orchestra. It's just very it's it's a very simple song, you know. And again, I was talking about like the whole, you know, Harrison thing with I need you, but like I mean I mean, maybe Harrison kind of peaked too soon. He should have definitely, like, you know, waited to put I Need You in maybe a later album. But I understand that he wanted to, you know, give his time as he did. But, I mean, I, what I don't understand about this song is, like, why didn't this come out earlier? Because this would have mm. been, I mean, because think about this for, you know, their early stuff. Like, Beatles for Sale, I think that that would have been a much better fitting. I, I agree with you on that one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that should have been on the Beatles for Sale, and I think that should have been a single. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, everybody loves Yesterday, and if, I mean, like, what's not to love about yes. it, except for the movie, but we're not going to go there. Right. Um, <laughs> but it's just one of those simple songs, but I I really wish you would have wrote Scrambled Eggs, because that would have been great. Oh, that would have been, been amazing, I yes. I would have loved that. Because you can do that scrambled eggs. <laughs> and he, but is, Paul was originally going to go, it's going to go scrambled eggs. 
Oh my baby, how I love your legs. Yes. But not as much as I love scrambled eggs. <laughs> it's so crazy though that he can think of those tunes in his head and just like and just like put it on paper and mute it. I'm so jealous of people that can do that. Right. Because I can barely. I mean, I can. I can barely write a text sometimes, you know. It's just like, <laughs> it's just like I mean, well, no, I I won't say that. I've written a few plays, you know, in college and stuff, but like a song, that's just like. It's otherworldly, man. It just—I don't get it. I wish I—I I wish I could, but I'm—I'm I'm just not that talented, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Are you saying you need a little help? Anyway. Oh, wow. Wow. I had to. Obviously. <laughs> oh, okay. Maybe I didn't have to, but you did, anyways. This, hey, my wife has to put up with this. I was every gonna say, day. I'm like, I only have to put up this for two hours. <laughs> <laughs> And another episode to record exactly. in the future. There we go. But yeah. Before we do that, we've got one more album to talk about, and we'll do that shortly. All right, we are just about done with this episode, but before we go, we have one more album to talk about on part one. And you are chomping at the bit, NC, to talk about this one. A little bit. This was the album that was released four months after the Help soundtrack. And this was the album that broke all the rules as far as the Beatles were concerned. I am talking about the album Rubber Soul. Mm. And I had this at, it's, it's so hard ranking these albums. It's like picking a favorite child, you mm -hmm. know? Or picking a favorite ice cream flavor. Yes. Uh, but at the end of it all, I had Rubber Soul at number two. Let's say you. Number two as well. Really? We actually yeah. agreed on something. Absolutely. Well, we agree on a lot of things. But yeah, it's, um, I when I initially told him that Rubber Soul was going to be my, I, I was pretty sure that I was going to pick Rubber Soul for number one. I did a lot of soul searching and a lot of research. And I was like, mm, you know what? I got to make it number two because there's another one that I prefer in top place. But I love this because I feel like Rubber Soul is almost like their Rebel album. Oh, yes. They're they're definitely taking some chances. They're singing songs about things that I did not think was allowed. Um, we'll get into that later. And then it's also just like, they're just like, they've arrived. And there's a lot of like innocent songs in this in this album but there's also a lot of groundbreaking things so absolutely kind of yes get into that yeah oh for sure and fun fact we were talking about uh breaking rules uh as i've said the american release and the uk release are completely different i am used to, i was used to the american release because mm -hmm. it uh it began with i've just seen a face which we played a little oh, bit okay. of gotcha. on on the help soundtrack uh on the UK release and the release that everybody is more familiar with, it began with Drive My Car. Nice. Baby, 
okay, they don't go beep beep yeah at the at the yeah. beginning. But yeah, it's it's one of those songs. I feel like this is there are a lot of like LA songs, you know, like Randy Newman's I Love LA, mm-hmm. Katy Perry's California Girls, Beatles You Can Drive My Car. This is an LA song. Oh, absolutely. And I almost feel like this is like a response to you know, a part of that, but also a part of, because, you know, now at this point in their career, they're movie stars. Oh, absolutely. They're movie stars, 100%. So it's almost like they're like a response to like, hey, yeah, we got it going on and this is what, but is it also a, almost kind of a, hmm, I get, I get kind of philosophical when I really think about this. It's like, is it almost a response to like, you know, um, like, I, I don't want to say, like, groupies, you know, and people who are just hanging around the Beatles just because they want to get somewhere in life, you know, because the Beatles, because at this point in time, John's the only one that's married. Yes. Um, Paul has not yet met Linda, RIP. Um, he's dating this um, uh, English actress. Jane Asher. Jane Asher. So you think it's almost kind of like a response to that, you know, and, and you know, so many different things. Yeah, it's a definitely a look at ego, ambition, lust, and deception, delusional Absol- thinking. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, l- listen, people, if you're out there and you really want to move to LA, I say, you know, do it because you know you only have one life. But don't, but don't think that it's not going to be. Easy. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And we talk about Drive My Car at the beginning. As I said, the American and UK releases of Rubber Soul are completely different. Mm-hmm. Drive My Car was one of four songs that were limited for radio airplay in the United States, mm-hmm. almost to the point of being banned, not necessarily because of content, but because they weren't on the album. BBC played drive my car in addition to the next the other three songs that weren't on the u.s release what goes on uh, nice the lennon mccartney starkey composition nice. one of those rare occasions nice uh if i needed someone the george harrison tune and are you ready for this oh. nowhere man was not on the u.s release really okay really. that is an abomination because that is one of my favorite songs it is yeah it's it's definitely a great it's one of my favorite beatles tunes too well what i love about nowhere man i love how it was used in yellow submarine yes and we'll get to that yes (laughs) um i love what i love about nowhere man is that it's a big um i feel like it's a universal message you know especially nowadays with millennials who like don't do anything and don't you know go anything and just you know, because everybody has, because, you know, I've lived in my fair share of apartment buildings mm-hmm. in, in, in my life. And I find that there's always one person who's always there that doesn't have a job and just kind of hangs around right. and does nothing. And I'm just like, and I'm just like, what do they, what do they do? You know, and I, and that's what I kind of like about it. And, you know, it's probably, a, um, almost kind of like Lennon's response to just being like, Hey, you know what those kind of people out there, what do you do? What are you doing? What are your, what are your, what are your plans? If, if those agreed. Yeah. Uh, one interesting fact, uh, I, I, at about nowhere, man, uh, I had a friend, I lost 
touch with him over the years, but he uh, studied to become a pastor. Oh, nice. And uh, he was loaning this book out to a few people at the place I used to work at, including myself. I was look, reading this book. And the guy who wrote this book, it was a Christianity book. Mm-hmm. And they used, the guy used Nowhere Man as an example of, say, agnosticism as the Nowhere Man. Mm-hmm. That makes complete sense. Because it's like somebody who, who, you know, it's like it, they almost kind of have some kind of belief in a higher power, but they just don't know where that is. Nowhere man could also be a symbolism for people who do want to do something. They just don't have the means to. Yes. Yeah. And the, the book was also talking about, uh, in God's words, nowhere man, please listen. You don't know what you're missing as uh, secret code for come join Christianity, mm-hmm. we'll help you out and figure out what you need. Mm-hmm. Which Or or not necessarily come to, but try. Yes. And see, see what you like. Uh, yeah. yeah, for sure. I don't I don't like when people talk about religion as like, come here. <laughs> you know, this is a little it's a little it's a little much, bro. It's a right. Little much. Right. And for those uh, devout Christians who are listening and were offended by that, sorry that wasn't my attention, but uh, yeah. Neither here nor there. Absolutely. And yeah, let's see what else we're going to talk about. Another Beatles-Dylan connection. Oh, Lord. Yes, and yes, there's going to be plenty of those, especially here. And this is going to be the first time you'll ever hear this instrument in a Beatles album. love this song i will say over the years i've gotten a little tired of it because i've heard it so much however i can respect for the use of sitar yes and for george harrison bringing that to the mainstream because i'm sure people didn't even know what a sitar was until harrison no yeah absolutely and i love the folkiness of it as well but definitely i mean it's just flooded with dylan that's all it is. Absolutely. In fact, it was one of those rare occasions where Dylan ripped off the Beatles years later with this song. Yeah. Uh, he recorded a parody of Norwegian Wood called Fourth Time Around, which was included on the Blonde on Blonde album mm-hmm. for the record. And yeah, there's going to be a Dylan episode, but fuck it. Blonde on Blonde is his best work. The end. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, yeah. And there's been arguments on this one. Uh, Dylan was told. Uh, Al Cooper, the musical director on Blonde on Blonde, told Dylan how much the song sounded like Norwegian Wood. And Dylan said, no, 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 no. Norwegian Wood sounds like fourth time around. They took it for me and I had to record it. Uh-huh. You know, and you wonder how much of that is actually true. Because, I mean, there's so many stories yes. that happen that, you know, and again, we didn't have iPhones back then, so we can record we could record things right. and see conversations. So it's like, we don't know what's true or not. So we don't know who's truly bitter about it. But again, I, I hear a lot of envy in that statement, but also I wouldn't, I wouldn't disagree with Dylan in that statement that, you know, Maybe it was taken. Who the hell knows? Nobody does. 
Yeah, we'll never know. I mean, Blonde on Blonde didn't come out until after Rubber Soul, so who knows? Exactly, exactly. And if it was a direct correlation, why didn't it come out years before, you know? Exactly. Mm-hmm. And we will now go into another highlight that we both agreed on. Uh, the song that was not included on the American release it was a standalone single, but in the UK, it was on the Rubber Soul album. The first Beatles song, according to John Lennon, that was not about love. I know he talked a bit about mm -hmm. Nowhere Man a few minutes ago. I'm pretty mm -hmm. sure there's a few more stories that we haven't talked about as far as oh, the song goes. Oh, God, I know what you want me to talk about. Okay. So, <laughs> in college, in college, okay. All right. This is going to kind of go a little ahead, but I'm going to talk about it anyways. Um, we, I took a stage makeup class, and um, we had Fantasy Day. And so um, we had to pick a fantasy character. And I was like, well, I want to do something like really different, like really different. And so I remember from the Yellow Submarine movie, which is a completely different episode of itself. Yes. Um, there was this character, Jeremy, the Nowhere Man. Right. And I was like, I'm going to do makeup of that. And um, you can't you can't see it. But I mean, maybe if you. How should I post it? Should I like put it? Oh, could I send you a link and you can put it on the website? Uh, on the Anchor website? I'm not sure if that's possible. I can definitely throw it on the uh, Facebook page. For those wondering, yes, Random does have a Facebook page. It's facebook.com slash random. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll send it to you and you'll put it on the Facebook page. Absolutely. I did, I did a Jeremy makeup look and everybody was looking at me like, who are you? What is that? My one friend said I looked like a platypus and I was like, shut up. <laughs> but it was... Um, I got my my um, my teacher definitely gave me kudos because it was a very original idea. I was like, thank you. <laughs> I, of course, was the only one who knew what that reference was. And it's like, yeah, because I'm cultured. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I again, kind of like we were talking about, I feel like it's one of those songs that's like it never isn't relatable. Yeah, I agree. And I did see that picture of you as Jeremy. And I got to say. Props, bro. Props. <laughs> it could have been a lot better, but you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah, well, you had to make with what you had, exactly. and you pulled it off. Thank you, thank you so much. Thank and you. yes, we will be throwing this on the random Facebook page in the next few days. Absolutely. Did I can I send it? Do I need to send it to you again? I think I still haven't. Okay. So it will go on the page oh. very soon. Yes. God, so embarrassed. <laughs> oh, no, be proud of that. Uh. I mean, yeah, there's no shame in being esoteric. Absolutely. That's what I'm known for, man. <laughs> All right. What's our, what's our next one? Uh, well, we can't really talk about Rubber Soul, both the U.S. and U.K. versions, without talking about one particular song, Grammy winner for Song of the Year in 1967, and has a bit of a uh, Le France, Le Flair de France. <laughs> Michelle, Michelle, 
And that's basically the French Babblefish translation for these are words that go together. Oh, well. uh, yeah. I mean, I think they wanted to kind of definitely do one of the things. Um, apparently, um, Michelle, it's uh, it's it's due to a um, it's it's based back to their Liverpool days when Paul went to parties thrown by one of John's art tutors, Austin Mitchell, and it okay. was apparently like them being surrounded by all these like French, you know rock contours and just being like it's a completely i mean i've always been obsessed with french culture but definitely when it comes to things like art and music and fashion the french are on a completely different level and cinema oh my god i didn't say cinema and, and cinema <laughs> yes. it's a completely different level and so it was kind of one of those odes to them but like when i think about french in this time I think of like the beatniks, you know, I think of Jack Kerouac and I think that it's kind of also maybe a response to that as well as like, you know, people who were completely rebelling. And it was also, again, a response to this because Rubber Soul is a complete rebellion album. Mm -hmm. And that's why I love it so much. But it's also just kind of like a, a big kind of kind of like an ode to like people that are just kind of being like, you know, we're going kind of on our own on our own tangent on our own thing. And like, hey, that's cool. Exactly. Yeah, and reading more about this song, yes, Bob Dylan is back. Damn it! <laughs> yeah, there was, I mean, we were talking about this earlier, but Dylan appeared to have had some li very little resentment towards the Beatles in the 60s. Mm -hmm. uh, little? I think it's pretty fucking big, dude. Well, yes, mm -hmm. yeah. That's for, I know you can't see it in a computer, but we're in, it's in quotes. Allegedly. 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 Yeah, he's in the biography, No Direction, home dylan was quoted saying it's the thing to do to tell all the teeny boppers i dig the beatles and you sing a song like yesterday or michelle hey god knows it's such a cop out man both those songs and if you go to the library of congress you can find a lot better than that there are millions of songs like michelle and yesterday written in tin pan alley he's not completely wrong on that last sentence but sour grapes much there bob i mean it's just there's so much if there's anything that I've learned from this, it's like, I don't really like Dylan anymore. <laughs> I'm just, I'm sorry. Like, I respect him as an artist and as a poet, but this is just like, I can't, you know, I think that there's, again, it just, but for me, it just comes off as envy, you know? Agreed, yes. It just uh, completely comes off as envy, you know, because it's like, I really hate it when artists waste so much time on having a feud or envy and, and when I talk about feud, I, of course, I'm talking about, like, you know, the Taylor Swift, Katy Perry thing. And it's like, can we just, like, not and focus on being our own artist and not envy other people and, and, and raise each other up and respect people and being like, hey, you know what? I don't really agree with your music, but I respect you as an artist and I'm an artist, too. So why don't we stand together? Exactly. And the thing about Taylor Swift and Katy Perry, they not only t uh, patch things up. There's the rumor that uh, there's a possibility they might be distant relatives. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I completely, yeah, totally. Yeah. And, and Katie, that's my girl right there. She, uh, mad prop. She sent Taylor Swift an olive branch. And I'm like, that's something that Dylan would never do. <laughs> oh my God. No. No. And if he does, he's only got two Beatles left to send it to. He, he wouldn't though. So I wouldn't. He won't. No. I, would, I wouldn't even worry about it. Yeah, and we come to the highlight of the album. Well, actually, there really is no highlight the, uh, other than the second half of Rubber Soul is a complete highlight in itself. It's just, bam, 
great song after great song after great song. Mm -hmm. And this kicks off side two of the album. Yeah, that, I mean, the room, not sure, is that an intake of breath or is that a symbol being hit in reverse? I don't know, but I love it because it's the first time I've ever heard this in a song. And um, as we were like gearing up to uh, to uh, listen to the podcast, uh, <laughs> I, I, I like sat and like listened to all these songs I love so much because I, I love this song. Also used beautifully in Across the Universe. Yes. Um, is... Um, I feel like this is John's talking about being in a tumultuous relationship. And I, he might've been going through a divorce at this time. No, no, he wasn't going through a divorce at this time. But again, it's also like, is this a response to him being with somebody who's like, either you're in love with somebody who's really bad for you or you're in love with somebody who's like bipolar. Could be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like the girl in girl is a definite handful. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and also with, the boys being around all these various types of women, especially when you're an international superstar, I can only imagine that women that came in and out of their life, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And we got to get it. I mean, there's, we still got more to talk about on this album, but uh, I'll just be as quick as I can on this. The instrumentation near the end of the song, the sitar and the oh, symbols from it's Ringo. so brilliant. It is without a doubt one of the best John Lennon compositions as a oh, Beatle. It's like it's so it's so good. And it's one of the only times that I'm just like, yes, I'm so glad that there aren't all four of them are in on this. Like they're in on it instrumentally, but like I love that it's a solo song because it works solo-y. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. Yeah. As I said before, uh, as we both said, actually, the second half of the Rubber Soul album is a highlight in itself. And I have to say, uh, if we included John Lennon's solo material and songs here with the Beatles, uh, the song that follows Girl on the album is my all-time favorite John Lennon composition. No Contest. Originally recording this, John considered it a uh, boring sort of what I did on my holidays bus trip song. <laughs> but but my, it's so much more than that. It's very thought provoking. It's it's one of those things, like I've always said, like if, you know, I don't mean to be morbid, but like at my funeral, like this is what I want them to play. You know what I mean? Mm, there's no shame in that. Yeah. I, I had a lot of people at their graduation ceremonies. They had their, um, 
they had, like at their graduation parties they had like a like you know like little slideshows going oh, on they yeah. had this play it's like and it's again it's one of those things that it's just like it's it's universal you can never get old with this one absolutely and looking at the history of this song there were some verses that john had written that were not in the song mm-hmm. uh for example one verse went penny lane is one i'm missing oh my god shut up yeah it gets better up church road to the clock tower in the circle of the abbey i have seen some happy hours wow can you imagine what that song would have sounded like if he had I, kept those lyrics intact can you just remind me again what year did this come out uh 65 okay so i remember this song specifically um from the anthology yes and they referred to the song when talking about brian epstein's passing and i almost feel like i mean granted i mean maybe at this time that he wasn't the manager anymore or something i don't know he was basically being phased out uh, and it was one of those things is maybe this was kind of like a love letter because i'm here's the thing the Beatles were very, very talented musicians. Yes. They wouldn't have had the career that they would have had without Epstein. Agreed. So maybe it was kind of like a love letter to him. Like, dude, like, because of you, we, 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 we became who we became. Yeah. Even though, you know, Brian Epstein was a closeted homosexual and was totally in love with John. But you know what? Who cares? Who cares? Right. He was a wonderful man who gave them gave them their shot basically you know and and a lot of times when you look at a lot of um artists who got the big break a lot of times you know it only takes one person to believe in you and then of course yes for sure and definitely a great song and epstein will actually pass away i think it was 60... i just looked it up it was 67 67 yes yeah. so yeah i can definitely see how this could be a tribute to epstein mm-hmm before mm-hmm. then yeah because that's how i remember because i remember literally watching the anthology and they played the song and it was like mm, i get it definitely and we're just gonna keep on going with side two mm-hmm. uh you and i were talking about this song a couple days ago i'm mm-hmm. looking through you yes i love this song yeah definitely a great one uh on here for sure and one of the rare occasions where ringo is not playing the drums he's actually playing the hammond organ in the song nice. here Ringo on the organ. Love it. Yeah. I love it because it's a good, very, it's a very, you know, it's a simple song, but it's very poppy. And again, has one of kind of those universal messages of like, you know, you know, you've been with somebody for a long time, then it's like, whoa, whoa, what kind of, what kind of surprises are they throwing at you, you know, or they have changed completely. I love it. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm looking through you. I mean, I've definitely put that up there as far as that album goes with, say, Think for Yourself and The Word. But I think I'm looking through you is is a much better song than The Word, which I thought was almost similar. Yeah, The Word was definitely similar, but The Word, I feel like, was a response 
to because again this came out in 65 that's when people started to become radical yes so it was kind of a response to that but it's like dude you could have done it so much strongly but again they're gonna wait till the next album to get there with that which i completely understand right uh let's see before we wrap up uh we've got one more song we're going to play on here and yes don't okay worry. good because i yeah oh don't worry we're not going to talk about rubber soul and not talk about the last song is there a least favorite song on rubber soul i mean it's hard to mm-hmm. ask these questions mm-hmm. i mean we know rubber soul is near flawless um you know I mean, what goes on is not a great one, but also at the same time, they're just songs that I'm not familiar with, <laughs> you know? And so it's just like one of those things that I'm just like, meh. I mean, you know, I think that um, If I Needed Someone is definitely underrated. I think that it's a good, great song. Yeah. Again, George's George's solo efforts were completely ignored in this album. And that's, that's something that kind of made me mad, but also at the same time, I kind of get why they did that. So... I'm not going to freak out about it. So, yeah. Yeah, I can definitely agree with you on what goes on. Uh, I did. I, I also said the word was probably one that I could have done without. Absolutely. Uh, but, yeah, we've got the final song on the album that uh, an example of if this was written and released now. Now would not happen. Oh, yeah. Careers would end in an instant. I gotta be honest. I always, I to this day, yeah. I get this song confused with another girl from the Help soundtrack, just because yeah, I just, it just thing, seemed like. I think that this is definitely a better song than another girl. Oh yes, I definitely don't think it's a better message. Right. <laughs> and apparently, this was um, John trying to do a version of you know um, an Elvis track that he had heard. Yes. Um, it was a baby. Let's play house. Mm. You know, kind of thing. But you got to understand, people like Elvis and Jerry Lee Lewis were known for going after women who were a lot younger. Yes. So maybe it was John's response of like, you know, you're a young chick. I know you got other guys out there looking for you. I ain't going to have that. You know, and later, John, I think I said in interviews that he definitely looks back on this song with regret. Yes. But, and, and I understand that, but I'm also just like, it kind of sucks because I... I I like the song. It's a good song. It is. It's, it's very, very catchy. But again, you got to realize what kind of time we're living in. You know, granted, we have songs that go, you know, ass, 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 and hit, you know, number one on the charts. But like, if a song like this were to come out now, it wouldn't happen. However, I kind of sort of have an example. Okay. This is from um, Bruno Mars' albums, Do Wop and Hooligans. Ah, yes, good album. You know, I tend to forget about that song, but yeah, I can see the similarities between it's that. It's just like, it's... And so for your life. We can't, we can't completely disregard the fact that, well, that song would never come out now. 
Oh, they come out now, just in completely different ways. Yeah, they just don't get released to radio. Exactly. Thankfully. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, that's a little, mm-hmm. yeah, totally. But only Bruno Mars can do something like that, so. Yeah, and I agree with you. I do like Run For Your Life, but uh, when I listened to it uh, back when I got as a birthday present, the Rubber Soul album, and now, it is definitely not the best song on the album well, in no, my life. Yeah, I know. When I, when I, when I, so my favorite song on the album is actually probably Girl. Okay, I can respect that. Because it, it's, it's just, it's stellar. It's groundbreaking. It's beautiful. I feel like the message is universal. You know, In My Life is definitely up there as well, but Girl, I... I guess musically, I think I like because the groundbreaking with the sitar, it's just so beautiful. Yeah. It's, it's just magical. Very experimental. Ab- exactly. Exactly. And again, only they at the time could get away with something like that. But, you know, what I love also about Run For Your Life is that, like, you know, I first heard that song when I was a little kid and I was like, oh, yeah, this is cool. Oh, yeah. And so it makes you wonder, like, you know, people like my mom who heard the song when they were like, what, I don't know. 1415 you know we're like oh my god this jam is like amazing but yeah. they were like not listening to the words right so it's like <laughs> oh and it just kind of makes me wonder you know the people who grew up listening to nwa when they hear something like f the police do they really know the meaning behind right f the police <laughs> Yeah, definitely. And uh, yeah, NW will be another episode for another time, obviously. Oh, please. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Rubber Soul is definitely very experimental in their in their early career. This was probably the most experimental they got around the time that they started. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, obviously more experimentation coming down, but I mean, this is definitely, it's definitely like a, an appetizer to what's to come later. Absolutely. Yeah. So maybe to you, it's a crime that we both had this at number two, but you'll find out what we both had at number one in our next episode. And that concludes part one of our look at the discography of John, Paul, George, and Ringo, the Beatles. (laughs) So be sure you tune in next week as we will be wrapping things up and we're going to get into a little more experimental uh, records from the Fab Four. And NC, you're going to be back next week, right? Oh, you know it. So if you are, if you're listening to this episode, great, but listener support is also greatly appreciated. Please log into anchor.fm slash random album. That's R-A-N-D-U-M-B dash A-L-B-U-M-B. Leave messages in the comment section. Uh, Please uh, donate if you feel like you want to donate a little bit of money. Be generous. Leonard's listener support is greatly appreciate like i said follow us on facebook uh, facebook.com slash random dash album and until then i am bc nc thank you so much for joining me on this journey thank you so much for having me and we will be back next week to talk about the remaining seven albums from the beatles so until next time the world is your oyster whatever you do get out there and start shocking it goodbye everybody You may think this idea is dumb. Well, you're wrong. It's actually random.